I want you all to stand and I want you to stretch out your hands towards me because I took about half my notes out <laughs> that I had and I still think I have about three hours worth. So, you know, we'll see how far we get, you know, today. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning as your humble servant. I ask you to use me, to use my spirit, my soul, and my body to deliver your word accurately and unhindered by Satan in any way. Father, I ask you that you open the hearts and the minds of everyone that is listening, that they might receive the word of God this morning with gladness. I thank you for the anointing that abides and rests upon me and in me in Jesus' name. And I know that Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived and walked the planet. So, Father, because Jesus lives inside of me, I am reaching into and tapping into that teaching anointing this morning and cause the Word of God to become real and alive to us in Jesus' name. I thank you for it. Amen. You may be seated. I have a lot of scripture I want to give you this morning. And I want to start with this one. In 1 Chronicles 12, 32, you may or may not want to write them down because, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be like machine gun fire this morning. I'm going to give you so many scriptures. So maybe just listen, okay? So 1 Chronicles 12, 32, and of the children of Ishkar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do had understanding of the times. That's what I want to talk about this morning, is us understanding the time frame in which we are alive. And I want you to, let me go over here real quick. I want us to look uh, and talk about for a minute the earth lease. It seems that God has given us a blueprint in the Genesis account, which extended from the creation of Adam even up unto the seventh millennium. This is a picture of a 6,000 years of God dealing with mankind on planet Earth prior to the transition of the seventh millennium, which will be for 1,000 years, which we all get to rule and reign with Christ. Glory to God. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 8, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, and by the word of God in the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, was overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same words, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Peter implies that we could be ignorant about a lot of things, but he did not want us to be ignorant about this, that one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So that's an important key, that's important. For us to understand in end time events. Uh, the Genesis account in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 tells us that God labored six days creating the earth and making man in his own image and in his own likeness. And on the seventh day he rested. There's a picture, a portrait of what is going to happen on planet earth. The earth lease gave dominion on earth for a limited time to man. And it revealed in the first chapter of Genesis. So we say that two days are from Adam to Abraham, which makes 2,000 years. And two days from Abraham to Christ is a total of four days, or it makes 4,000 years. So two days from Christ 
to the end of the church is also another two days. Now we have a total of 6,000 years. So 2,000 years from Adam to Noah's, 2,000 years from Noah to Jesus is 2,000 years. The present time in which we are alive now. And so not one prophecy that is recorded in the Bible has ever failed. Moses, uh, most were spoken hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And historical evidence has proven that every prophecy that has been spoken regarding uh, Nineveh and Babylon and all of these have come to pass. So what would make us think that all the prophecies that are still to come to pass will not come to pass? They will come to pass because it was spoken of by God. I brought this puzzle this morning because I wanted you to see this picture. This is a picture of what this, this man wanted right here. So he had this picture made. God has a picture of how he planned planet Earth and the outcome of the 6,000 years and of the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Glory to God. So he has it all pictured out. This is a 1,000-piece puzzle, all right? So this, this person who loved this picture put it all in pieces, all in pieces. And that's the way God has done for planet Earth. He had this perfected picture of planet Earth on the inside of him. And when he got this perfected picture on the inside of him finished, he said, now let's begin. And he broke it all up in little bitty pieces, time pieces, for us to, to live out and work out on planet Earth. But I'm here to tell you, the finished picture will come to pass just as Jesus has predicted and just as it has been prophesied over the eons of time that we have had on planet Earth. So it's glorious to know that we're part of that fulfillment. Oh, hallelujah. For hundreds of years, Bible critics thought that they had finally found the one prophecy that was false. None of them believed that Israel could ever become a nation again. They thought for sure that the Bible was wrong concerning Israel. But in 1948, in one divine act by Almighty God, what man labeled impossible, God made possible. I'm telling you, the nation of Israel became a nation again. And we get to live and be a witness of that miraculous thing. He began gathering the Jewish people back to that tiny strip of real estate. And I want you to notice, it's real estate. It's the real estate. You wonder why Satan fights you when you go to buy a house and you want, because you have a part of something that once belonged to him. It's the real estate. It's, he once owned it. Now we own it. Don't you love it? Real estate. So you become a partaker of planet earth when you buy real estate. So just think that little tiny piece of real estate in the Middle East. Oh my goodness. Restoring their nation. It was from that moment, 1948, the prophetic events begin to accelerate towards complete fulfillment concerning Israel. And just think about these things. Just think about it. And we get to live to see uh, our embassy move from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Even though in 1940-something, Israel declared Jerusalem was their capital, but the world didn't recognize it. But glory to God, because of our president and his guts and his audacity, he moved our embassy to, to Jerusalem. Oh, I love it. And we get to see and be a part of prophetic fulfillment. Isn't God good? Matthew 24, verses 32 through 39. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When it branches or is yet tender and puts its fourth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Truly I say to you that this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. I was raised under the ministry and the teaching. I will be 70 years old in a few weeks. 
70 years old in a few weeks, and I've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit since I was eight years old, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and it was a glorious experience for me because I spoke in tongues for almost 20 hours straight, and I couldn't stop. I mean, it was just like I was filled and consumed with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at the age of eight, I was called to the ministry and knew that I would be in ministry and knew that I would marry a minister and knew I would go to Africa and be a missionary. It was just burst inside of me. And uh, needless to say, we go to Africa and we're missionaries. <laughs> but uh, I have heard end time teachings all of my life. And it is a passion on the inside of me to prepare the body of Christ for the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to get stirred up that we're looking for him every single day, every single moment, every time we, we close our car door, every time we walk in our house, every time we say hello to somebody, we're looking for the appearing of Jesus, the rapture of the church could be at any moment because Israel has become a nation. And I was raised that the generation that sees this will be the generation that the rapture of the church will take place. All things will be fulfilled. So we're it, people. We are it. And so we don't need to get caught up in the spirit of the world. And let's go back. As of the children of Ishkar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do or to know what you ought to do. We need to have understanding of the times. Matthew 16, 3 says, Jesus rebuked the people of his day for failing to recognize the signs of their times. And I'm not here to chastise you. I'm just here to shake you and say, wake up, wake up. We're in the last days. I mean, everything is wrapping up. The 6,000-year span of time is wrapping up, and we're in the final days. All right? In verse 11, um, uh, Matthew 16, 3, Jesus rebuked the people of his day for failing to recognize the signs of the times that heralded his first coming, calling them a wicked and adulterous generation. They should have discerned the times. For centuries before, Daniel and other Hebrew prophets had predicted his coming. But Simeon and Anna, do you remember them in the Bible? Mentioned in Luke chapter 2, found in their studies of the prophecies that told them the time to go to the temple, that the Christ child was here. And so there were two that were sensitive to God that went to the temple and got to see Jesus, who was the prophesied promised redeemer, who was the child that had been prophesied about for thousands of years. Two that were sensitive to to the scripture and to the word of God. So I want us to wake up, wake up the mighty men, it says. So I want to wake you up this morning for us to be sensitive. And I want you to see uh, the phrase, the end of history, the end of history. We're, we're coming down to the end of history. And I want us to wake up and see we're so privileged. We're one of the privileged that gets to live on planet earth and see the word of God fulfilled in our day. Daniel, the 12th chapter, verse 4 says, But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, that many shall run to and fro and search anxiously through the book and knowledge of God's purposes as revealed by his prophets shall be increased and become great. Searching anxiously through his book. I've never seen a generation that does that, searches, looks through, digs through. I don't know. When I get on a a word study, like the word lawlessness, 
uh, not too long ago, I got on a word study on the word lawlessness. And I'm telling you, I looked at every scripture pertaining to have that word in it and studying out that word lawlessness. And you know, we are living in a lawlessness world right now. There is no regard for human life. There's no regard for the person sitting next to you. I can say anything unkind, anything ugly, anything defamatory about you that I want to. And there's no repercussion. I mean, there's no retribution for uh, defaming a person's character. I mean, you can just say anything you want to say, and it seems like get away with it. And then I was told this past week that um, they have the ability now to mimic a person's voice. Uh, Luke Shook showed it to Scott Tripp, and Scott was telling me all about it, that they had Barack Obama uh, giving a speech and saying something, and now they pay a university to do research to all, through all their equipment that they can copy his voice and then make him say anything that he, they want him to say. And it sound like him, and it be his voice. And so it showed him standing up, giving a speech, and then they changed it to say something completely different than what he said. So I'm telling you, we're on the verge of things that you and I never thought would happen. To where, be aware of it because there's going to be th- things probably come out on the news that certain politicians say that they did not say. And then they will have recordings of them saying it. But it's this institution that's been hired to mimic their voice, voices, their nuances, everything. And it will be like them saying it. Wow. So be, be on the, the lookout for that because for it to be on the news and for us to see this, it's, it's pretty amazing. So uh, the words, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And the many shall run to and fro, searching anxiously. So two signs predicted by Daniel for the time of the end should be obvious to us all. The increase in travel and the increase in knowledge. Since 1914, just think, that wasn't too long ago. A hundred and what, four years ago? Uh, when the average speed of cars and trucks was 15 to 20 miles an hour until today, when rockets to satellites satellites average 24,000 miles per hour, man has had an explosion in travel and an explosion in knowledge. Why are these two signs mentioned together? Because they're interrelated. The speed of travel is dependent on the increase of knowledge. Oh, I love this. I mean, we can all turn on our cell phones right now and push on a news link and get current news that just happened just minutes ago. So it's so exciting to know that we're part and getting to live and see this fulfilled in our generation. You know, I wondered when I was a little girl growing up and I heard about the the two prophets that would be killed in the streets of Jerusalem. And it said all the world would witness it. All the world would witness their deaths and they would lay in the streets for three days, it says. And then it said all the world would witness their resurrection. They lay in the streets for three days. Well, how? We just had old black and white Philco TV. How could the whole entire world witness at one time the death of the two witnesses and then the resurrection? Now we can see it, can't we? How that the whole world, the cameras will be on those two men laying in the streets. And all of a sudden, ooh, when, when the courts of the universe have said they fulfilled what I said, and all of a sudden their spirit returns and the spirit of God enters them. And they are raised from the dead right there on the streets in Jerusalem for the whole world to see. Oh, I can see it now because we can see anything around the world now on our telephones. Now, who would have thought about that a few years ago on our telephones? You know, I love Westerns. I love Westerns. I read Western books all the time. I love covered wagon stories and them in the 1800s and the hardships and then how they get to their little valley and they build their log cabin or their dugout. I love stories like that. And so many times I'm reading a book and Indians are over here and here comes the Calvary and I want to phone the Indians and tell them they're over the next hill. Run, hide, so you're not massacred, so you're not killed. Because I love the Indians. Oh, I love the Indians. 
If anybody has suffered hardships, it's been the Indians that did not get what they deserve. It's our Native American Indian. All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> Events of the end time. This is what I want to talk about. From the very beginning, God has revealed events of the end time. The scripture states that Jesus opened his mouth with parables and spoke things that had not uh, been said before, but kept secret from the foundation of the world. So we who are of this last generation should not be caught by surprise or be confused as to God's timing concerning these earth-shaking events. Jesus said that men's hearts would fail them for fear and for looking after those things which would come on planet earth. But our hearts should not fail us for fear because we have been given an inside scoop on what's going to take place and we won't let our hearts fail us for fear. Uh, there are some chaotic times ahead for the inhabitants of planet earth who refuse to listen to God's prophetic warning and continue to walk in their own darkness. The prophet Malachi gives us a glimpse of their judgment. Malachi 4.1. For behold, the day cometh, and that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave neither root nor branch. The prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 13, he also sounds a warning for such a wicked generation. Jeremiah 13, verse 16, give glory to the Lord your God before he calls darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mount mountains, and while you look for a light, he turneth it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. Yet there's also good news, even in the same time frame. Proverbs 4, 18 through 19 says, But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto that perfect day. Verse 19 the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So there's great darkness and deception ahead for those who find themselves outside of God. Amen. However, there's a brilliant light of revelation for those who find themselves inside with God and respond to God's warnings. Isaiah gives us a glimpse into this when he's referring to the time of Israel's restoration at which time their blindness departs and they recognize Christ as the Messiah. Isaiah 61 through 2, Arise, shine, for thy light cometh, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Here we go. His glory shall be seen upon thee. When you seek his presence, his glory will be seen upon thee. It's so evident from these verses during the same time frame, which gross darkness covers the earth, great light will come by revelation of the Holy Spirit to those who will follow God and who will worship him. The event that will leave the wicked of the earth groping in their own darkness for seven-year tribulation will immediately follow the event we call the rapture of the church. Oh my goodness, the rapture of the church. But God has provided better things for us who are children of light. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it tells us, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Daniel 12, 8 and 9 says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. I read that again to you because I want to quote from Charles Capps. Charles Capps says, God's message to Daniel set a time for these things to be revealed. That revelation is being released to the body of Christ in this generation as never before. He also says, when God spoke through his prophets of old, his prophetic words established these events and the sequence in which they would transpire. He says, 
God caused prophetic utterances to be fused together with time so that they could not be separated from the segment of time to which they were assigned for their complete fulfillment. Just think, Jerry left yesterday morning flying to Canada, flew to Canada. He has seven services in the next few days. I mean, flying all around the world. Brother Copeland's flying somewhere. Jesse Duplantis is flying somewhere. Mark Barkley's flying somewhere. Thousands and thousands of these preachers are flying everywhere, somewhere today, preaching the gospel. That's never been done in a generation before our generation. It was just local ministry. It's not that way anymore. So all of this... Uh, oh my goodness, isn't it exciting to see it being fulfilled right before our very eyes? So it was fused together with time that this is that generation. Uh, so that they could not be separated from the segment of time to which they were assigned to complete fulfillment. And some of these events could not be totally understood until the generation had arrived on the scene through which this assignment was made. And we are it. We are it. So time itself is prophetic and has been released by revelation to this generation. All right. Now, Matthew 24, 1 through 7, signs of the times. Jesus departed from the temple area and was going on his way when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings of the temple and to point them out to him. But he answered them, do you see all these? Truly I tell you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And while he was seated on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us. When will this take place and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age and an end of the world, King James says. Jesus said unto them, be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you and leading you away in error. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquake in different places. So Jesus mentioned four things that would occur in one generation to signal the end that was drawing near. If you'll show on the screen, I want to show you those four. It's wars, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. The signs are being fulfilled almost daily, making everyone Consider how close we must be to the prophesied end. Can you see some of the wars that are happening right now? Wars and rumors of wars. There are 15 wars going on right now. Uh, the United States is actively engaged in five at the present time. Now, I want to show on the screen the famine. Approximately 9 million people die of world hunger each year, according to the world hunger statistics. Look at this. Isn't that sad? I'm so glad we're doing our part of feeding the hungry. You know, we take uh, food into areas in Africa, and it's so exciting to give away tons and tons of food and watch the women come and the children come with their containers to take the grain away so that they can have bread. It's just so fulfilling to know that we're a part of helping in that. Uh, pestilence, black plague, there's pestilence, infectious diseases that are just everywhere right now. The earthquakes that took place in, in Mexico, the largest recorded in history, September the 7th, 2017. Uh, there are there pictures of the earthquakes and the things that, that took place. I want us to look, uh, the, Red, the Red Cross has housed more evacuees in the past year from hurricanes and fires than they ever have in the history of the Red Cross. It's just an amazing statistic to read. Uh, the fires, I want to show the pictures of the fires. In verse 8, it says, these are just the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9 says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Uh, so the fires, and right now there are fires in northern uh, California and in uh, uh, Oregon, 
and Canada just fires. Just there are 2,100 firefighters right now in the Delta Fire fighting it today. I read about it early this morning. The Delta Fire in California, 2,100 firefighters. And just think of the homes that are being destroyed. That that when you see those pictures alone of just neighborhoods just completely burned down, that that hurts, doesn't it? To see people that have lost all of that, but. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. I want to give you the definition of the word hate. Feeling intense or passionate dislike for someone. Having a strong aversion to something. Express strong dislike for, criticize, or abuse intend passionate dislike denoting hostile actions motivated by dislike or prejudice. So look at one of the things. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. I've never seen unprecedented hate like we are seeing. Never. You may not like our president, but that does you're not supposed to hate him and talk all this dislike and and, oh, my goodness, a few days ago, I follow uh, Ivanka Trump mm-hmm. on Instagram. I love her posts, and I love seeing what she's doing. And uh, she posted a picture on Labor Day weekend of her husband holding up a shirt for the year 2023, some games that are going to be coming to the United States. And he worked out the negotiations for the embassy to be moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And he did all of that. Now he's been in in Mexico working out all these deals, you know. And and I love Jared Kushner. I just think he's a phenomenal young man who left being over 200 and something companies who was a multimillionaire on his own right to lower himself to receive a salary that's a spit, a pittance to what he was to be criticized 24 hours a day by millions of people. That young man is criticized. And so I thought, I'll just read a couple of the little uh, comments. Oh, I wish I hadn't. You know, I only read about three or four of them. But people saying, well, I hope that in the year 2023, you're in an orange jumpsuit, you know, in prison. And then it just went on and on and on and on, you know, about things that they wished he were dead, wish his whole family was dead and this and this and that. And I went fierce haters of good. There he was working out negotiations in Israel. He's working out peace negotiations in Mexico for the steel and all the, you know, all the imports and exports and just someone doing good. But everybody feels like they have their own opinion. Everybody. But not only would we have our own opinion years ago and we could just tell the people in our family, (laughs) now you can post it for the whole world to see your opinion, you know. And uh, so this fierce haters, fierce haters. I don't care what you had for breakfast. I don't care what you're having for lunch. I don't really want to care to see about your dinner picture. I mean, especially I don't want to know about all your problems. And everybody posts all of their problems and just puts it out there for the whole world to see. Take your problems to the prayer closet. Take them to the Lord. He's the only one who can help you with them. The only one who can help you with them. So the definition of hate, feeling intense or passionate dislike for someone. I've never seen anything like it in my generation. Have a strong aversion to something. Express strong dislike for, criticize or abuse, intense passionate dislike, denoting hostile actions motivated by dislike or prejudice. So aren't we living to see that right before our very eyes? Actor Johnny Depp said, when was the last time an actor assassinated a president? Then he said, don't you think it's about time? Here we go, voicing opinions like that. I think he ought to be jailed for saying stuff like that. You know, that's my opinion. (laughs) I'm giving you my opinion. And then Kathy Griffith, you know, with that Donald Trump's head. I don't know if they have those. Yeah, there, there we go. You know, I think they ought to do some time for that. 
maybe not hard labor, you know, outside picking up, but they ought to have to do civic service or community service or something. I mean, you don't have a right to talk about our president like that. Previous presidents I didn't care for. I still prayed for them. I still held them up before the Lord. I prayed all the time for them. They need more prayer than ever. Our president needs a lot of prayer so that he doesn't tweet every day, you know, and tweet some of the stuff that he tweets. I mean, he needs a lot of prayer, okay? And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. And then the end shall come. This generation is blessed greater than any generation I believe that's ever lived on planet earth. We're living in a marvelous time of prophetic fulfillment, which is good news if you believe in the blessed hope and the return and the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we witnessed Hurricane Harvey and Irma and Marie coming, which caused incalculable destruction, were you at your TV watching those meteorologists? They were warning everybody days in advance. It's coming. It's coming. Get out. Get out. Get prepared. If you're going to stay there, then you gather all the supplies and all the things that you need for survival. And they were warning and warning and warning. It's coming. It's coming. Well, that's how I feel like I am this morning. I'm warning you as a meteorologist. It's coming. We're just seeing glimpses of things, but it's coming and it's coming and you want to be prepared. You want your heart to be right. You want to be in fellowship with God at all times. So when that trumpet blows and he says, come up hither, you're ready and you are caught out of here. Okay. All right. I talked about the earthlies. I want to talk about quickly. Building our foundation. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Honor, esteem, value, respect, and reverence. You hate what he hates and you love what he loves. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Proverbs 10, 25 says, therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrines of Christ, advancing steadily towards the completeness of perfection that belong to the spiritual maturity. Let us again, let us not again be laying the foundation of eternal judgment and judgment. That's the beginning. That's the foundation is laying the foundation. There is eternal judgment and there is an eternal reward. How many years has it been since you heard a sermon? There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. I cannot tell you the last time. 50 years ago, 55 years ago, 60, 65 years ago. But I'm here to announce to you this morning, there is a hell and there is a heaven. There is a hell to shun and there is a heaven to gain. And I want to begin on some of this and show you. I believe that these foundations need to be laid again. When I looked at this, I thought, well, what is a foundation that needs to be laid for all Christians? The foundation is the first thing that has to be done when you're building a house. You have to put the foundation down first. Being without a firm foundation in the truths of eternal judgment and punishment prevents us from building a proper and healthy life in Christ. Do we know anything about eternal judgment and punishment? I don't think we do. Especially this generation has not heard anything about eternal judgment and punishment. And I was thinking back on my life. Uh, that this was a foundation that was laid inside of me when I was a young girl. And it caused there to be boundaries and borders and restrictions that I put on my own life because I didn't want to go to a devil's hell. I wanted to go to heaven. So I put 
seeing the boundaries from the Word of God, I stayed within my boundaries. Even as a teenager, I stayed within my boundaries. I wasn't out there promiscuous and being intimate with every young man that I had a date with. I wasn't with any of them until I married Jerry Savelle. I had boundaries that I put in my own life because I saw it from the Word of God. So when you see things from the Word of God, you've put boundaries on yourself. And you're not going to do these certain things because why? You want to go to heaven, right? Right? That should be what we get up looking forward to every day. I'm going to live my life today pleasing God so that I can go to heaven. When was the last time you heard that? I want to live my life today pleasing God so I can go to heaven. I'm not going to get off in sin. My granddaughter, uh, Madison, is in her second year of college at Texas Tech. And she was in a dorm last year. And God blessed her with a wonderful dorm mate that that just, uh, oh, they were so good for each other. And my my granddaughter, Madison, is the godliest young girl. And so this year, she moved into a new house Uh, that are four bedrooms with four baths, but they share a common living area and a common kitchen. Oh, dear Lord, she's texting her grandpa and I and calling us, and she said that one of the girls, well, when they got there, they opened the refrigerator, and it was filled with wine, and just filled with with wine. And uh, then now she has to put a towel under her floor at her bedroom door because the pot the girl's smoking pot, and it's just coming in, and she doesn't want her clothes in her bedroom and her room to smell like pot. Well, she's already paid the $7,500 to live there for this year, so she can't move out and get another place. I mean, we've already committed that, you know. So, oh, my Lord, here she is texting and, and us all the time, pray, pray, pray. You know, I said, Maddie, you are a light in a dark place. I said, you let your light shine and don't you back down. You put those towels at the door and do whatever you have to do. But you witness to those young girls and you get them changed. And uh, so anyway, all of that, to t- I don't know where I was going with that story. But uh, <laughs> we must understand that there is uh, eternal judgment and punishment that firmly establish us. And keeps the fear of the Lord in our hearts. Keeps the fear of the Lord in our That's hearts. Right. Yes. Now I know Brother Copeland had no fear here. That meant unbelief. That wasn't meaning reverential fear to God. We're talking about a totally different thing. No fear means no faith. You know, I mean, what, what he meant along those lines. But we do keep a reverential fear. We do keep boundaries within our lives and within, uh, and within our home. And it says, whatever you, in this scripture, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill the body. They cannot do any more to you. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill people and then to throw them into hell. So I have dozens of scriptures here on hell, which I won't go into for sake of time this morning. But uh, let's look at lawless for just a minute. If we lack this understanding, we can become deceived into believing God overlooks or even doesn't even see the sin that we commit or the lawlessness, and we take comfort in an unscriptural mercy that doesn't exist. Now, there's mercy teaching going on right now around the globe, and I do believe in the mercy of God. Without it, none of us would be saved. But so much of it has been taken out of context and is misused, and people are just sinning and doing what all they want to do. And as they're sitting there sinning, they're, they're quoting the mercy scripture. As they're sitting there watching whatever they're watching, they're quoting forgiveness scriptures. That's taking the word of God and using it unskillfully. You're not going to get by with that. God sees and you will be punished for these things. All right? We must have an understanding of eternal judgment and punishment that firmly establishes us and keeps the fear of the Lord in our hearts. 
It gives us boundaries or borders. What is a river without a boundary or a border? It's a flood. And what does a flood do? It causes destruction. So without us having boundaries and borders, I mean, there's destruction that comes. So we have to put boundaries on ourselves. And God loves it when we put boundaries on ourselves, doesn't he? He loves it because he knows that we're serious about following him. So these are the foundations. These are the tools that, uh, that we need in our lives to establish us in Christ. To be lawless is to be contrary to the law or to act without regard to the law. Laws are necessary in a sinful world. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.9 says, And those who choose to act lawlessly further sin in the world. The word for lawless in the Bible is often translated iniquity, according to the Bible. The root of all lawlessness is rebellion. That's what happened in Lucifer, was rebellion, and that was lawlessness. Rebellion, the act of violent or open resistance to an established government or ruler, or the action or process of resisting authority, control, or convention. First John 3, 4 defines sin as lawlessness. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. To commit sin is to be lawless. That is, the sinner breaks God's law in this way. Lawlessness is a rejection of God. Satan, who models the ultimate rejection of God, will one day empower the Antichrist called the lawless one. Don't you love these scriptures? Who is, who's to rise to power will be in accordance with how Satan works. So many will stand before Christ claiming a connection with him that exists only in their own minds. They will rehearse their good deeds done in his name only to hear Jesus declare them to be workers of lawlessness whom Christ never knew. And at that time, those who practice sin will be cast into a blazing furnace while those who are covered by the righteousness of Christ will shine like the sun, Matthew 13, 41 through 43 says, Jesus will have the ultimate victory and will eliminate lawlessness forever. The Bible connects men's lawlessness and rebellion against God with his need for God's forgiveness. In Romans 4, 7, Paul, quoting Psalms 32, 1 says... Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's us. Glory to God. Our lawlessness, our sins, they're forgiven. They are covered. God's righteousness is imputed to us as salvation. And God forgives all of our lawlessness. They are sins. And Jesus says he will remember our sins no more. Christ died on the cross to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Oh, glory to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, that scripture says. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. He wasn't referring to the great, great white throne judgment Jesus referred to in the previous verse in which people will be sentenced to hell, but to the believer's judgment. There is a believer's judgment. Uh, however, notice that Paul equates Christ's judgment seat with the fear of the Lord. However, it could also be referred to as the white throne. In fact, in the verse above, he actually calls the judgment seat the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So I believe you judge yourself. The Bible says you judge yourself and you won't be judged. So those are the boundaries that you put on yourselves by judging yourself and staying within the perimeters of what God's word says for us. Isn't that exciting? Oh, it is to me. So what is the fear of the Lord? Is it to be scared of him? Absolutely not. How can we have intimacy with the Lord, which is his earnest desire, if we are afraid of him? God came to reveal himself to Israel to have fellowship with them as he had with Moses. 
But they all ran back and refused to draw near. Moses said to the people in Exodus 20, 20, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. He wants fellowship with you. He wants relationship with you. He wants intimacy with you. When my earthly father was alive, and uh, oh my goodness, I didn't fear my earthly father, not at all. I loved having intimacy with my earthly father. I would go and I would sit on his knee as a grown woman. And he would put his arms around me and I'd lay my head next to his cheek. And I would tell my daddy how much I loved him. Yes. Jerry Ann did that this past week, Labor Day weekend. I don't know if you all saw her picture posted. My 15-year-old daughter climbed up in her daddy's lap, and he just was loving on her. And she posted the picture. So, you know, that's what God wants from us. He wants that intimacy. He, he's not wanting to make us fearful of him. Exodus 20, 20, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Notice his words sound like they contradict themselves. Rather, Moses differentiates between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord for there is a vast difference. The one is afraid of God has something to hide. Recall Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They hid themselves for they were afraid where they had just had intimate fellowship with him the day before. Why? They had sinned and intimacy and the sin is what caused the division. But when you go before God and confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to put you right back in that place of fellowship and rightness with him again. Isn't that glorious? The glorious good news On the one hand, the one who fears God is afraid to be away from him. He runs from disobedience. He runs from disobedience. The fear of the Lord is to honor God, to esteem him, to value him, to respect him, to reverence him above anything or anyone else. It is to love what he loves and hate what he hates. What is important to him is important to us. What is not important to him is not important to us. When we fear him, we will tremble at his word, which is to obey him instantly. That's what happened when years ago, Jerry had for several years said, Carolyn, I want to start a church in the Crowley area. I said, Jerry, I've already been there and done that in my middle 20s and my late 20s. We will never do that again. I will never pastor a church. We will never start a church. I said, God would have to speak to me in a burning bush. I said, and if you insist on this, those are grounds for divorce in my mind. That's, that's how serious I was. I said, I'm not doing that ever again. This went on year after year after year for three years. I'd say, God will have to speak to me in a burning bush. I'm not doing it. Well, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Jesus showed up at the foot of my bed. Jerry was around the world on a three-week tour. And when Jesus showed up at the foot of my bed on a Saturday night, and when I looked up, all I saw, like, if you are looking here, you see those bright lights right there? They, it was that bright but brighter. And all I could look into were his eyes. I just saw the silhouette, but I looked into his eyes. When I looked into his eyes, I saw love and compassion, and I melted. I just, it was like a big block of ice, and I just melted into a puddle at his feet. And when I looked into his eyes and melted into a puddle, everything in me, even my my little pinky, my skin, everything in me was willing to do what he asked me to do. It was all consuming. Lord, I will do anything you ask me to do. And these were the words he said to me. There are hurting people, and I want you to love them for me. Well, at that point, pastoring a church didn't become hard for me. If loving people was all it took, there are hurting people. Love them for me. So my husband, when he got home, I told him, I said, sit down right here. I have something to tell you. 
He didn't know what I was going to tell him. And when I told him what had happened, his mouth fell open. <laughs> his mouth fell open. And so then I called my daughters and their husbands, and we sat down, and in three weeks, we had a church. Can you believe it? In three weeks, we had a church. Terry and Ronnie became our youth pastors, and, and here we go. You know, I mean, God did it. And they're all these years later. But it's being obedient to God, being obedient to Him, wanting to fulfill what He wants you to do. So the fear of the Lord is to honor Him, to esteem Him, to value Him, to respect Him, to reverence Him above anything or anyone else. It's love what He loves and hate what He hates. Christians would not backslide if they had the fear of the Lord firmly planted in their hearts. We wouldn't slip or drift away from a steadfast devotion to Jesus. We wouldn't take his word for granted granted or treat it casually. We wouldn't flirt with the sin in this world which causes believers' hearts to harden and eventually fall away. We would always know that what is done and spoken in secret would be proclaimed publicly at the judgment seat. Hear what God said to Jeremiah about it in Jeremiah 32. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear. Fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. But I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. So the fear of the Lord needs to be put in our hearts so we will not depart from him. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.12, work out, cultivate, carry out. And fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Jesus. Have you ever seen that scripture like that? Let me get this so I can come over here. Work out, cultivate, carry out, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation. If there are things out there tempting you, men, women, young people, then I'm telling you, you watch for that temptation yes. and you run from it as quickly yes. as Amen. you can. Amen. Timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Jesus. You know, years ago, there was a campaign that went around, uh, what would Jesus do? And it was the initials W, J, D, J, whatever they are. And they wore little wristbands. I think we need to bring back those wristbands where that can be before our eyes. You know, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus look at this? Would Jesus go there? Would Jesus drink this? Would Jesus do that? Would Jesus, I think we need those little wristbands again. What would Jesus do? You know, so notice God says, fear me forever. Fear me forever in that verse. For whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Jesus. We carry out and complete our salvation with reverential fear and trembling. Let's keep this under the awareness that every thought, every word, every deed that we have will be made manifest before him. Be made manifest before him. You know, that was one of the things that kept me in line. My mother would tell me, Carolyn Ann, when you go out on that date tonight, angels are there with you. <laughs> what you're thinking, the angels are there. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. Do you know that kept that boundary inside of me? Kept the boundary? God's good, isn't he? Thank you, Jesus. So the fear of the Lord gives strength to not fall away from his grace and into a life of lawlessness. The fear of God keeps us from coming up short 
by falling away. The love of God, on the other hand, keeps us from legalism, which also destroys intimacy with God. Our love for God also fills our emotions and our intentions, keeping them passionate and accurate. We must have both the great forces of love and fear in our lives to maintain a healthy relationship. For this reason, Paul calls God our Heavenly Father, our Abba, or Abba Father, meaning Daddy. But he also says our God is a consuming fire. He is love, but he is also just and a holy judge. To not fear him is to lack enduring stability. And Jesus repeatedly says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word that we heard today. I thank you that you have a plan, an eternal plan for each and every one of us, Father, and that it is your will that we love you and that we serve you and that we come to you, Father, unconditionally, and that you have paid an awesome price for us. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that the word today fell on good ground, Father, and that they're not just hearers only, but Father, but they are doers of the word, knowing that you have prepared a better place for us, and that there is an event soon to take place called the rapture of the church, to which that trumpet will sound and you will say, come up hither. Father, I pray. That everybody in here within the sound of my voice today is ready for that event. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray for them. I pray in the name of Jesus. 